morning, Steelers fans, and welcome back to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, joined by my friend and co-host, Dale Lolly. Dale, there wasn't practice yesterday, but you wrote a huge story that's right at the top of our website, and it's about Kevin Colbert. He spoke to the Pittsburgh media yesterday. A lot of stuff came from here, but it was there were a lot of questions because COVID has caused a lot of problems. We have no idea what the situation is going to be like with salary cap, and everyone's asking questions about who's going to sign. You wrote, a, you wrote a lot into this piece because there was a lot of information there. What were some of your biggest takeaways about Colbert explaining their challenges in going through with this? Well, I think the biggest thing, Chris, uh, my takeaway was that the Steelers aren't going to sign anybody to a contract extension before the season starts, and that would include Cam Hayward. Uh, I'm not going to say uh, I'm 100% certain that's not going to happen, uh, but I'm, I'm based on what Colbert said, I, I don't think it does happen based because they just don't know what the salary cap is going to look like next year. They have to, as Colbert said, operate under the assumption uh, working off the floor, which is $175 million. And if that's the case, then they're nearly $15 million over the cap uh, going into next year with 40 players under contract and, uh, you know, a number of, of, of starters heading into uh, unrestricted free agency, um, they would then, they would be one of 14 teams who enter uh, 2021 over the salary cap, including the uh, Philadelphia Eagles who are $90 million over the cap. If it's $175 million, which it's one of the reasons why I think, you know, once this season's over, in fact, I know, that once this season's over, the NFL and NFLPA are going to sit down again and negotiate this thing out again. They're going to look at the numbers. Uh, they'll have at that point, you know, the, the, what the revenue numbers were for, for uh, 2020. Remember, neither side really knew what that's, that was going to look like. They were projecting this when they sat down and came up with that $175 million number. But once the season's over, they're going to have a, a firm idea, a firm knowledge of what, the salary cap was or what the, uh, what the revenue stream was. And then they can go from there in terms of making sure that, uh, you know, they, they, they do this in a situation where neither side wants the salary cap to go down to $175 million. That doesn't, that doesn't serve the owners. Well, uh, you know, not only do you have 14 teams that would be well over the cap, you've got another, you know, four or five teams that would have less than $10 million available uh, essentially just enough money to sign their draft picks. Um, you know, so that, again, they, the, the NFL owners aren't going to want to go into next season with only 12 teams uh, capable of, of adding any free agents. And by the same token, the NFLPA isn't going to want that because they're going to see a lot of, of veteran players released with nowhere to go. Uh, if there's only 12 teams to sign those guys, A, they're not getting contracts that are, are, are going to be equal to what they're, they were playing for in 2020 and B it's going to be a buyer's market because you're only going to have 12 teams capable of signing those guys. Yeah. And that's, that, that's what you said, because it's going to be, uh, it's a good point that you make there because there's going to be guys that, 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 that get released. And then, you know, even among the teams that, that, you know, they're able to keep who they can, you know, it, it's going to be tough on, on, on those free agents because now you're dealing with a lot less money in everyone's in everyone's pockets to be able to bring you in. So, you know, typically, you know, it, it's often said by the money heads that, you know, if an athlete can get, if a, if a major 
player in the NFL can get to free agency, that's where they can get super dollars. Um, and even if they're not a major, like, you know, Kirk Cousins getting the deal that he did, you know, things like that can happen to you when you get into free agency. But this, this seems like it would be a different situation because they're sure there'd be some teams that, that are trying to spend, but most teams are probably looking at the same situation you know, the Steelers are, even if they're not going to be over the cap, they can't sign what they, what they used to, you know, the, the roster composition is going to be different. And, and, and like you said, the Steelers had several players in that mix, uh, you know, at the top, it's Cam Hayward. And, and, and honestly, if you had told me back when we first started talking about this issue back in March or April or May or whenever it was that Cam Hayward would not be signed, I, I thought you would be joking because I did think that at some point there would be some sort of agreement, some sort of, news where the, where the NFL would be like okay we can we can survive this we'll make it so that teams can do what they have to do and then the Steelers would make a move on this but you know this has been the Steelers and Kevin Colbert's MO for a while that you know they're not doing they're they're not going to take actions that involve risk on a future if they don't know that what the, what the foundation is for making those decisions and you know much like how you were telling everyone back when everyone was just scre- was was screaming you know why aren't they signing free agents before they tra- before they traded to traded away Antonio Brown or why aren't they doing anything and you talked about how their entire process was slowed down similarly this looks like a process that's slowed down because they don't have a foundation to make these kind of decisions um so you know, you got people like Cam Hayward, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner, Villanueva, Ban- you know, Banner, Filer, Dupree. Uh, there, there's so many guys in here that fit that list. And you, you mean to tell me that none of these guys are, are going to be signed to anyone? I know you said you can't guarantee anything, but that just seems like a, like a really tough ro- uh, road to hope uh, for, uh, for, the, for the Steelers, you know, going into next season if they keep up their policy of not negotiating during seasons. Yeah, and, and I asked Colbert directly about that today, and he said that's going to be the case, that they're, they're not going to negotiate, um, you know, once the season starts, even though, that, you know, we, we have some extraordinary circumstances. Um, they're going to continue with that, with that longstanding policy, and that policy is in, in place uh, for a reason. Um, you know, I was, I was covering the team in 1993 when they, when they did negotiate, still negotiate contracts during the season, uh, that was, of course, the first year of, of unrestricted free agency, and it caused some hard feelings in the locker room. Uh, you know, imagine if if the Steelers go into the season and they they can't come to a contract terms with uh, Cam Hayward, but they, for example, do sign Matt Filer. Well, then Cam Hayward's going to be going. Oh, wait a second! I thought I was the priority. Yeah. Or yeah. vice versa. You know, if, if they sign Hayward and now you know Juju Smith-Schuster or James Conner go, oh wait a second, what about me? And they say, well, we're not going to do you now. Well, what's, that, what's the reaction of the player going to be? So I think that the, you know, their, their plan of, of not negotiating these deals once the season starts, um, you know, and that's a blanket statement for everyone, uh, it, it does kind of give them an out here. Like, hey, look, we tried. Uh, we couldn't come to an agreement. We'll talk again once the season's over. And I think that's the situation they're in now with, with a lot of these guys just because of, of the COVID situation. I know some teams around the league are, are signing guys, including the Eagles starting to talk with Zach Ertz about a, a contract extension. Again, that tells me that, that NFL teams think that this, uh, this revenue uh, for 2020 uh, or the salary cap for the 2021 season is going to come in higher than $175 million. They're not signing guys to some of the deals that have gotten done here over the last couple of weeks. 
if they don't think that the cap is going up or at least staying the same as what it was in uh, 2020. Right. And, be, and I think that's an important distinction is that when they announced that 175 million was the floor, that was just, it, it was the floor. It wasn't the guaranteed, Hey, that's how much you have to spend next year. So there's a, there's a chance that it could be higher now, but what do you think manage, management wise uh, from a, from a managerial position, the Steelers look at this. What do you think that the, the difference in opinion is there when you see uh, the Steelers not Make, making these moves. And then you see teams like the Eagles, who you just said, if it is that floor, it's $175 million, you know, the, uh, you know and there would be $90 million over, over, the, over the cap, and they're trying to sign a tight end, you know, that, that, just, that just seems like these are two different teams in the same state that are on completely different, uh, you know, levels of what they think things are going to be. You know, what do you think leads to that kind of, those kind of vast differences in decisions? Well, I mean, every team has its own plan and how it wants to go about things. And, and uh, you know, the Steelers always spend right up to the cap, edge of the cap, uh, as do the Eagles. But obviously the Steelers feel that, uh, you know, they've got some reason to, to, to be cautious here. They don't want to mortgage the future at the expense of, uh, you, know, you know, having to cut a bunch of good young players or, or let them go because they signed uh, Cam Hayward to a, a massive deal. And, Honestly, that's what he's going to get. I mean, you're looking at, you know, 17 or so million or eight, you know, somewhere in that range uh, for Cam Hayward. That's the going rate. And, you know, it will be the going rate at the end of this season as well. Um, you know, so if they don't get this done, it will get done at some point. I don't see Cam Hayward playing elsewhere. I mean, it, it just seems insane to me to think of that. I mean, Cam Hayward from the Pittsburgh area. You know, get you know, been a, been a Steeler for life. You know, first round draft pick, and he's been he's been the heart and the soul of that defense for several years. He's a leader in the locker room. You know, I, I remember you know when you know when when thing, when things would go down with the Bengals in those years with Vontez perfect and uh, and there would start to be some scuffles. I remember seeing Cam Hayward. He would just jump into situations and say back up, and you know the Bengals players that were chirping would legitimately back up. It he's respected not just in the Steelers locker room but across the league, and we even saw that with the voting uh, over the past couple of years, now that he's become an all pro and, and he's, people are starting to recognize, Hey, that guy's, you know, if he's not second best at defensive tackle or interior defensive lineman, he's, he's, uh, he's right among that top three, four, uh, you know, three or four guys. So um, I, I just, I agree with you. I just, I think that there has to be a way that they, that they keep Cam Hayward uh, for the long term, just for all, all the things that he brings to the team, not just on the field, but off it. Uh, we're going to cut to a quick break. we got a lot more to talk about here as far as what's been going on with the Steelers right after this. to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Carter, here with my co-host, Dale Lolly. Now, Dale, you and I were just talking a lot about Kevin Colbert, the details that you got out of him yesterday in your article, um, which you can go read right now at DKPittsburghSports.com to check out all of Dale's insights there. Um, but we also got to talk about what we see here as far as impacting the team's draft process moving forward, because normally, you know, every, while everyone's talking about 
you know, the Steelers and how they're playing during the year. There's the background that's going on as they're, they're evaluating the talent that they want to bring in next year. And COVID didn't just mess up the salary cap. It's, of course, you know, messed up a lot of college football. The, you know, two major conferences aren't going to be playing. Some major players have opted out. Uh, what, how do you think this is going to change, you know, the, the way that, this, that their scouting department operates or who they value when they're looking at these draft picks? Well, I think, you know, the first thing is, is that, as I reported in the last week's uh, Friday Insider, uh, the NFL still hasn't given teams the okay to, to, to travel to college campuses yet. So, and I don't expect that to happen anytime soon. Um, you know, so scouts aren't going to have that ability to go into a college campus and, and do any research on these guys, watch them in practice, not just in game situations, talk to their coaches, uh, talk to the position coaches, talk to the people in the building who deal with these guys on a daily basis uh, to get that background information. Um, Kevin Colbert did say uh, yesterday that, that uh, you know, they will be traveling to games, uh, the ones that are played, uh, you know, the, they'll mostly be driving to those, but there will be a few flights. But, you know, you can go and watch a player in a game, but that doesn't tell you much. You know, you can say, well, I like that guy, but that, that doesn't, you know, show you about much about his character or his off the field, and all, you know, that kind of stuff, the things that you would learn by going on campus. And the other part of the equation that, that Colbert mentioned was the fact that, you know, if, if you looked at the All-American team, the AP released uh, earlier this week, there were six guys on there who were first team all American, first or second team all Americans who've already opted out of playing in 20, you know, in this season, this college football season. Um, you know, Colbert said that, you know, if, if it comes down to it, he's going to lean towards the guys who actually played football this year, as opposed to a guy who maybe uh, didn't play in 18 months because you haven't seen any fresh tape of that guy playing college football. Um, and, and I think that number of guys or players who have opted out is only going to continue to grow uh, because if I'm a young, if I'm a football player and my school's now playing in the spring, I don't know that I'm real interested in, in, in playing football in the spring, knowing that I'm then going to be drafted and going to go immediately uh, to an NFL team and get ready for a 16 game season. Um, and, and Oh, by the way, what happens if I get hurt during the, the spring college season? Then maybe I don't get drafted at all. So I think you're going to see more opt-outs. And as Colbert said, it's going to be awfully difficult to, to, uh, to look at those guys, especially if they opt out before having played because they haven't played football. Think about guys, for example, Patrick Queen was the first-round pick of the Ravens this year. Yeah. He was a one-year starter at LSU. He was stuck behind Devin White. Uh, who came out two years ago was you know the fifth overall pick. Uh, he was not a full-time player at LSU. So what happens if a guy like that says, you know what, I don't want to risk this. I think I can be a, a top draft pick this year, at least be drafted. So I'm not going to play in the spring. Well, what tape do you have to look at of him? Right. You know he he played here and there in, in LSU's defense a couple of years ago, getting a, you know just a handful of snaps a game playing behind Devin White. There's going to be a lot of that this year. You're right. I mean, and t two players locally uh, that, you know, we got, you know, Micah Parsons, the, the linebacker from Penn State, who was supposed to be, you know, somewhere heralding as a top five pick in this upcoming draft. And then you got Jalen Twyman, of course, from Pitt, the defensive tackle, who was being looked at as, you know, a top 20 type of pick, uh, you know, in, in, in the first round. Uh, 
I, that, that just makes things so hard to evaluate because you're saying, okay, do I go off this tape from a year ago? You know, they've been working out basically. That's all they could do. Uh, you know, that's, that just, that just makes things so much harder. And at the same time, then you got other players who are, who are going to be playing, you know, in, in, in this situation and saying like, Hey, what if that moves up? Like, for example, you know, uh, people were looking at Michael Parsons as he, maybe he's the top linebacker. What if that's now Dylan Moses because he's going to be playing with Alabama and Alabama's going to be, you know, their stage is going to be that much bigger because there's going to be less college football to watch. And, you know, I, I have to wonder how that, uh, how that works for the guys up top. And then, you know, what the Steelers do, they rarely pick among those top guys. You know, they're going to be looking at those guys lower down, like, you know, you know, guys that, you know, might not be projected for the higher first round, but that could be floating around. And you might see a person, a player like, you know, on the opposite end of pit, you know, Paris Ford, who didn't go into the draft last year. Uh, and he's, he's there, he's their star safety. Um, and right now, a lot of people are slating him as maybe a second round pick, but say he has a big year in the ACC is this Pitt's defense has a lot of, t- has a lot of talent and experience on it. You know, maybe he boosts his draft stock up there. This may be the craziest year to try and predict or project who you know, goes where and who's trying to be targeted because you can say, oh, okay, well, these, these, this NFL team makes, appears to have these type of needs, but the bottom line is, you know, they're, they're going to be, you know, the, the, you're going to be looking at teams that are saying, okay, do we, do we hold on to the value from their 2019 performance or do we more value these players that, are, that, that blew up in 2020? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's going to make for a very uh, interesting draft process, maybe even more so than, than what we saw this past year when, you know, they basically shut down all of the workouts, uh, you know, before anybody got them in. Last year, it was all about evaluating guys off the film. Well, this upcoming, uh, you know, draft process, it may be more about, hey, what are these guys doing at their workouts? It's going to be a complete opposite of what we just saw. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be be a completely different process. Um, You know, Dale, in your experience, you and I have talked draft for the past, what, two years now? And we've gone over who we think and who we like, you know, as a person, as, as a person who evaluates co- collegiate talent, you know, what kind of weight are you holding personally on, a, on athletes that you're going to see this fall and maybe even this spring, if those, if someone plays in the spring that, that enters into the NFL draft, I, I think that'll be a rarity, but um, you know, what kind of, you know, a weight are you putting onto this? Because, you know, this is a very special situation. You know, do you look at these athletes, with a higher regard because they went through this tough process and they found a way to stick it out? Or is this kind of like a, you know, I'm going to put a, a, you know, an asterisk during everything because, you know, two major conferences aren't playing and, you know, there's all these other factors that normally wouldn't be here. I, I think you have to look at this all on its own. Um, Cause remember, I mean, one of the, the nice things about, uh, you know, conference championship games and bowl games and those kind of things is that you often get to see the top talent from each conference uh, play against other guys who are, who are very talented. Right. Um, by, by taking the Big Ten and the Pac-12 out of the equation, um, you know, we've lessened that pull. So, you know, you might get to see that defensive end that you like. He may only play one NFL prospect uh, this year as opposed to the two or three that he would, you know, might face if, if some of these other conferences in the bowl games are taking place. So, uh, you know, it really is going to, to, to make the process that much more difficult. Um, you know, is that, is that star receiver, how many times is he lining up opposite somebody who's also going to be playing on, on Sundays right. in the future? 
not all that, you know, it just doesn't happen that often. And it's probably going to happen even less this year because of the, uh, the opt-outs and the teams that aren't playing. Yeah. There, I mean, that, that, that's so much to consider. Uh, and, and like you said, with, with the talent that's not there, you know, it's rare when you already get a chance to line up against a guy who's going to be, you know, another top tier talent, you know, or, you know, or even just play against teams that have those top tier talents. You know, I remember the Rose bowl when it was, uh, it was Juju Smith-Schuster and Chris Godwin on uh, opposite sides, you know, the field, you know, and it was just like, who could make the more big plays at the wide receiver position. And, uh, you know, you saw Juju and Godwin just, just just pour it all out. And now they're two of the, you know, two, two of the better receivers in the NFL, you know, you know, who's to say that that happens now because, you know, both the big 10 and the PAC 12 are gone, you know, uh, <laughs> um, so you can't, I mean, that's just insane to me. Like there's no traditional Rose bowl. And, and, and like you said, that that's where I got to see, okay. Cause all year long when I'm, you know, when I, when I'm, you know, you guys have seen me write Carter's classroom. You guys have seen me, evaluate NFL stuff but that whole time I am looking at colleges and seeing who's doing what and and, and like Dale said I, I love it when I get the chance to say okay this group doing doing well with this group and you know I, I want to see how they how they translate you know how this Pac-12 player does when he goes up against an ACC you know defense or an or an SEC defense because when they should if they can show me they can excel there and it's not just the the conference that they in that's, that, that's often just high-flying then, you know, then I'm like, okay, yes, we got, yes, we got to look at this guy a little bit closer to see what his, what his skills are here. I, I, we're probably not going to get much of that this year. And it's insane to think that. I think the biggest thing you might see is that with the Big 12, you know, if, if they get to go up against some, uh, some ACC and SEC teams, you know, beyond, you know in a postseason. But th- this is, this is going to be really tough, Dale. I don't, as an evaluator, I, you know, I'm, I've been racking my brain on how I'm going to be able to judge this class. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting. And I guess, as, as I said, you know, you'll have to look at each individual situation on its own and, and uh, judge it by that. Absolutely. Dale, thanks as always. It's always great to have your insight on the show. Y'all, y'all see why I learned from this guy? He's all the stuff you hear. But go read his top story. It's on Kevin Colbert. He's got five thoughts coming out on this. You know, he, you know, Dale is the, is the man. This is why I, I'm glad working under him at, at DK Pittsburgh Sports. Dale, thanks again for being on the show. We're going to get to one more break. When we come back, y'all got me started, and it's time for me to tell you, don't get me started right after this. Welcome back to the DK Steelers podcast. I'm Chris Carter, and you're listening to Don't Get Me Started. Don't get me started about the receipts I got on y'all about Mike Tomlin. Now, I could call this segment Chris Got Receipts. Now, for those who don't know what that means, that means that you, someone said something, I've held on to it, I've, I've held the grudge, or I've, I remember what you said, and I'm bringing it up again. And this is to all the people who, about two years ago, all the word was that Mike Tomlin ran Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell out of town. Now, Antonio Brown, we have since seen, is unstable and has personal issues, 
and needs to work on, on his life before he can get back to the NFL. He's still out of the NFL. He didn't work with the Raiders. He didn't work with the Patriots. He told the Bills, no, don't, don't trade for me. All those things. So we know about Antonio Brown. But the other case was Le'Veon Bell. All I heard was Mike Tomlin can't hold a locker room. The locker room's falling apart. Yada, yada, yada. That's all I heard for all of after the 2018 season when Le'Veon Bell never showed up and then they had to trade away Antonio Brown. The two were arguably at one point the best running back and the best receiver in football. For, Le for, for Antonio, it wasn't even arguably. He was the best receiver in football. Le'Veon, you could say Ezekiel, you could say this guy, but he was obviously in the top conversation of the top three running backs when he was in his prime with the Steelers. But the point here is, I remember, I remember all the people that were saying that Mike Tomlin, he's at fault here because he doesn't know how to manage a locker room. Well, why am I bringing this up today? It's because Le'Veon Bell was again displaying some dismay with the management of the New York Jets. Because if you missed it, Le'Veon Bell uh, was reported by the Jets to have a tweaked hamstring, and that's why he was missing practice. And Le'Veon Bell then tweeted out, Ain't nothing wrong with my hamstrings. Obviously conflicting the report that the Jets are giving out. And this is just another in a long line of problems that the Jets have with Le'Veon Bell. First, when Le'Veon Bell signed there and then Adam Gase joined as head coach, Adam Gase said, I didn't want Le'Veon Bell. I mean, why would you say that as a coach in the first place? That's just dumb. Even if you don't, just keep that to yourself. And if you and maybe you say it in person and say, hey, man, we're going to work together. But, but, but when you put it in the press, it makes it even worse. But... It's been clear. Le'Veon Bell has had several instances when he's spoken out against the Jets. He's, you know, he had the situation with Jamal Adams, where Jamal Adams was one of the people that said, "Hey, come over here." And then when Jamal Adams left, you know, Le'Veon Bell was like, "Wow, that that just shows you who he really is." All that kind of stuff. There's been problem after problem after problem with Le'Veon Bell and the and the New York Jets, and none of it has anything to do with Mike Tomlin. Now I remember when Antonio Brown was starting to act up in Oakland. I, I saw some people on social media saying, well, Mike Tomlin, he, he's the one that, that let him think that he can act like that. No, Antonio Brown is a grown man, just like Le'Veon Bell's a grown man. You want to see mismanagement? That's mismanagement, what the Jets do, why they're just so just irrevocably inept. I, I, like, you, you know, they, they, I, thought it was, I thought it was a little premature to get rid of Todd Bowles, but I understand you're trying to get things. But then you bring in Adam Gase, the guy who just tore the Dolphins apart. And Adam Gates just continues to look like he doesn't have a clue as far as what he's doing. But on top of that, you got Le'Veon Bell, who you could probably say he's the Jets' best player now. I mean, Jamal Adams was probably that. They went and drafted Sam Darnold. You know, you know they're, they're adding pieces here and there. But Le'Veon Bell is at least a talent that you have on your team. And you can't even keep him happy. You want to see... Players that, you know, not getting, at least Le'Veon Bell, we never saw him speak out against the Steelers like this. There was never a reason. Now, he might have said, my contract, my money, that's one thing. But when you're paid, when you're paid and there's no question about that, and he's playing, there was never an issue with Le'Veon Bell. And even the in 2017, when he did hold out for a little bit, and he came in, and Mike Tomlin, there was a video of Mike Tomlin like, well... Glad you're here. Let's go. Let's go to work, Juice. After that, it was done. All of it. Over. Kaput. Didn't have to worry about it. You know why? Because Mike Tomlin's locker room is in order. People called the Steelers a circus. Uh, our boss, our fearless leader here, 
Dan Kovacevic said, it's not a circus, it's one clown. And he was talking about Antonio Brown. He even knew that it wasn't Le'Veon Bell. You know, I remember seeing shirts in the strip district of the two idiots, and it was uh, and it was Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. And I get Steelers fans being hurt, because over the over those years, from, Le, from Le'Veon Bell being drafted in 2013, which was the same year that Antonio Brown really exploded in the NFL for the conversation that he's, he's one of the best wide receivers in the league, you saw... So much of a reason to buy into those guys. Steelers fans, they were probably the two most buy, bought jerseys. There was everything to believe in them. They were your favorite players in Madden. All those reasons. I get why you're angry, Pittsburgh, why they were left. But when there was the pointed hate at Mike Tomlin as if he was responsible, I said at the time, that's ridiculous. Because th there was there was no turmoil out you know when it came to Mike Tomlin's leadership of the team there was no turmoil uh, you know when it came to you know how they felt about the playing you know Le'Veon Bell was was, was was a good teammate when he was on the field the, the only time he wasn't was in the year which some of the players said that he told them personally that he would come back and then he never did and the pure reasons was because he wanted more guaranteed money in his contract not something that Tomlin can control and we're seeing that if things were really bad with with Mike Tomlin you would have seen them the way you're seeing them now with Adam Gates. So this is why I say Chris got receipts. Because I remember I remember these conversations. I remember having to have the listen. People were saying, oh, Chris, you just like Tomlin too much. No, I respect Tomlin because that guy knows how to run a team. I respect coaches that know what the heck they're doing. You know, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that, that, there, that, there, that there's problems with Mike Tomlin. I disagree with some of his decisions here and there. But... There is, but there, at the same time, everybody's got problems. You know, it's funny when people come at come at Mike Tomlin for his challenge record, and then I point out, oh, well, actually, he has a better percentage of correct challenges than Bill Belichick, and they're like, well, what is that? That doesn't matter. Get out of here, please. I see what you're doing there, people that don't want to have. And again, I, I said this in my live cues file yesterday. Go read that if you get the chance. Um, someone asked me about how do you engage with you know, with rough conversations on, on you know, on, online. They, 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 they praise me for I engage them. Let me tell you, Chris has his bad days. You know, he's, he said that you do a great job of staying positive. And I try my best to stay positive because we need that kind of energy in this world. I, I think it's much better to be positive than to be negative and, and to be cynical. There's time to be realist. There's time to acknowledge what the real problem is. But for the most part, still be positive when you have the time to be positive. And sometimes there's threads where, yeah, I, I engage, and then I turned out that someone is having a bad faith argument. It's something that Bomani Jones, uh, one of my favorite ESPN people to follow, uh, he taught, he, he he tweeted out. He's like, he's like, promise yourself not to go, not to engage in bad faith arguments. And that's people who come to a conversation and don't actually want to have a conversation. They just want to tell you you're wrong, I'm right, and. Even if and even if they you know, if they really believe that there's they there's a part of them that knows that hey I'm standing on bad foundation here but I'm gonna keep standing here because it benefits me the most and that's what comes to this this Mike Tomlin conversation because you can say Mike Tomlin has 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 you know weaknesses as a coach every coach does. But for the people who say, he's got to go, he's got to go, oh, you should just go sign uh, Mike McCarthy or whoever, you know, whatever the big name is that, that offseason when people say that Mike Tomlin has to go. That's ridiculous. And it's it's a bad faith argument. It's not, it's not based in anything that has a real foundation. And that's why when I saw those things about Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, 
I engaged them because I felt like it was my job as a person who writes about the Steelers and talks about the Steelers to combat that narrative. Because when you let a narrative go unchecked, it gets louder and louder and louder, and then all of a sudden it's the story, and then everyone's like, well, where'd this come from? But now it's a prevalent you know, narrative in, in society. And you try to keep it in check, but there are times when you have to let it let it go. But I'm letting it. I'm letting everyone know right now. When you see stuff like that, when you see arguments like that poke out where where things get tied to Tomlin that don't make any sense, that's when you're like, okay, wait a second, is this person for real, or is this person just trying to continue to push this narrative because they really want Tomlin gone for whatever reason? I'm telling y'all, I don't play that. I don't like it. And I'm the person, I'm going to be a person that, that keeps it real with you 100% of the time. And sometimes that involves saying difficult things. That involves putting yourself out there, putting yourself on a limb, being the unpopular person. You know, there were times where uh, there was a, in fact, a perfect example. There was a play against the Bills this past year where the Bills sent an extra blitzer on a play and uh, uh, and uh, Devlin Hodges, uh, you know, threw, it, threw an errant pass. And uh, Dan Orlovsky of ESPN was was you know put out a put put a thing here. He's like, well, uh, uh, their coach, I forget his name right now, the head coach of the, the Bills, he outsmarted Sean McDermott. He said he outsmarted Mike Tomlin because he saw this blitz and he threw this extra blitz in here, and that and off the, that guy off the edge was the reason that Devlin Hodges missed this throw, and it, and his defense was perfectly crafted to destroy Mike Tomlin's offense. He's like, well, actually, no. I looked at it and I immediately tweeted back out, and then, you know that you know. At the, the actual problem with the play was Pouncey gave up a gap. He missed his man in the middle of the field. That forced Devin Hodges to rush, and James Washington was wide open for a touchdown on the play. And when I said that, people were like, come on, Chris, no, come on, you can't do And I'm like, no, look at the play. Was this genius craftsmanship? Because it wasn't the edge rusher that that, that, that disrupted Devin Hodges. It was the A-gap blitz that, that Marquise Pouncey should have picked up, and he let him walk by him. because And that, that was a mistake on the field wasn't a play call it wasn't a, a complete outsmarting of mike tomlin and that's one situation where i was in the minority but i was going to continue to say what i was because i keep it i keep it real and i keep it real now about the receipts that i kept from all the people who said that mike tom was to blame for what happened with Le'Veon bell and antonio brown because as we're seeing right now with the jets there's all this drama going on over there and the only drama that happened with Le'Veon bell was hey i want my guaranteed money there wasn't drama about you know, about you know, whether he was practicing enough or getting the ball enough or whether he was actually wanted to be here. It was all about the money, which is outside of Mike Tomlin's control. Right now, you see over there, a lot more problems. So spare me the next time that y'all try to, that y'all try, that some, y'all try, y'all hear something like this. Come to me with it and I'll, I'll let y'all know. You think I'm crazy? Let me know. Hit me up on Twitter at Carter Critiques. I'm always down to go, go down with y'all. You can DM me because I understand some people don't like putting the conversations out there. I understand that. Because that, you know, then you're, then you get attacked and you're like, ah, social media, that's crazy. And I understand that. So DM me, don't be afraid to, but if you follow me, I'll follow you back. We can, then we can exchange messages and have a friendly conversation, a good faith friendly conversation. Thanks to all those for listening to the show. If you're enjoying the DK Steelers podcast, please go on Apple Podcasts right now. Leave us a five-star review. Leave us a positive comment. You guys are doing a great job so far of sticking with us. We've got a lot of great content. I remind you, go check out what Dale Lawley wrote. He has a five thoughts about, about what's been going on with the Steelers, and he has what, what Kevin Colbert said. So if you want to read what we talked about today on the first segment of the show, Go check that out. Also, check out my work on Pit Football. It's a lot of really good stuff out there. We'll be back in your ears tomorrow on the DK Steelers Podcast.